Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Two shows this week because it is a busy one. Had the Wimbledon preview earlier in the week today. It's all about NBA free agency and a big UFC pay-per-view. First up, my buddy, head of Yahoo Social, Rob Crowder, is going to come on the show to talk about all the moves in the NBA. It was a wild free agency that saw LeBron James go to the Lakers, Paul George stay in Oklahoma City. Boogie Cousins go to the Warriors and a lot of other moves as well. We break all that down. Rob gives his take on some of the low-key signings that may have gone under the radar. You're not going to want to miss that. It's a big NBA discussion. And then Jose Young's UFC writer for Fansided. He covers MMA and a bunch of other things. We're going to talk UFC 226. Sipe Majocic defending his heavyweight title against Daniel Cormier. Max Holloway was pulled from the UFC card. A lot, though, to still discuss on this fight card, as well as Ronda Rousey getting inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. You're not going to want to miss that, as well as the Money Mitch Effect Friday. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect, talking NBA free agency, and who says that there's not a lot going on in the summertime? Got my boy Rob Crowder, head of Yahoo Social here. Rob, thanks for coming back to the show. Oh, always a pleasure. Now, I, I know we're hoops guys. This might be the only sport that has its own season in the offseason because it feels like an entire different world. Like we crown the Warriors as NBA champs, and then a week later, maybe not even a week later, it was what's going to happen with the face of this league, What's where players going to go. LeBron James switches teams again, but it's so much more than that. And I think that's where I want to start because, as you know, LeBron leaving is seismic in any in any realm. But we had, what, 10 to 12 of the top 25, 30 players that are on new teams this year? It's, it's maddening. Yeah, it's insane. Like, you just look at the Warriors after picking up uh, Boogie Cousins. They have more all-star appearances than in than, like combinations of divisions in the NBA now. That's absurd. It's like... Yeah, every player was rated 90 or higher in their starting lineup on 2K last year, and every player was on an All-NBA team, I think, as well. I just, it, It's crazy. I want to get to Boogie in a second, but we do have to talk LeBron James. He's a Laker now, which, not the craziest thing. We thought it would happen. I think it's surreal to, to see that he's in the West and on probably the most storied franchise in NBA history. The money is the money. I mean, it's $154 million over four years, and that's it's a lot, but we've seen how contracts have gone up. The thing I wanted to focus on, Rob, was the years, the commitment. Four years means three for sure. He never signed that deal in Cleveland. Does that surprise you at all that he locked in at 34, soon to be 34, to those many years? Yeah, I think it's pretty indicative of where the league's going right now. Like, we've got a lot of aging stars. You look at Chris Paul, he did a four-year deal. He got $6 million more than LeBron, which, I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> that is completely absurd, especially for a, a point guard who's had issues staying on the court, especially in playoff series. And then you look at Paul George. He locked up for four years. Then you look at Jokic, five years. Like, we've got some pretty extended contracts, at least at the top half of free agency. But then if you start looking at the role players right. and the fillers, they're taking one-year deals. And I don't think we've really been privy to as many players taking one-year deals just to like either improve their their stock for when the draft salary cap bumps up or just trying to win a championship or, or you know put themselves in a better position in a better market. I think it's a little of both because we don't know what the cap's going to do. Four or five years ago when Dang and Moscow were getting those contracts, everyone thought it would just go up like crazy. There's always a market for big contracts for guys like LeBron and KD and, and Russ and, and the top 
top elite players. But as far as locking in, I think part of it is betting on yourselves, trying to prove you can make it but uh, as a legit guy, but also hopeful that maybe when you're a free agent the next time that there'll be a bump and you could get something more. I think Will Barton got four years for 50. Yeah, It's about what you would think for a player like that. It might be a little bit of an overpaying, but we don't know what this, the cap's going to look like in the next few years. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Like You had a couple of players make interesting decisions, like uh, Julius Randle choosing to leave the Lakers because his, his role would have been diminished, and I think he's taking less money, right, to go elsewhere. I don't know if they want... If that was a weird one because they renounced his rights. They could have brought him back. I think he's smart enough to realize that with LeBron there, who knows what that team is going to look like. They could be... I mean, everyone's fair game pretty much on that team to be traded. Like yep. it's there's no one for sure safe. Safe, but he goes to to the Pelican. That one did sound like betting on himself because I think he can yep. really play. And if he has a good year, his market value is going to go way up. Yeah, and another move that I thought was pretty interesting was uh, Nerlens Noel choosing to sign with the Thunder for three and a half mil. What did the Mavs offer him last year? Wasn't he up to forty million somewhere in that <laughs> I for think like it two was, years? Yeah. And he's taking a fraction of that to go play in Oklahoma City. I mean, mind you, you know, coming from Oklahoma, I'm a Thunder fan, but like, I don't even know if he can play. Like, he hasn't touched the court very much. He played what forty appeared in forty games last year and had what like six rebounds a game, but. You know, obviously his height's going to help, but uh, again, another interesting decision to you know turn down the money and then jump for less, but improving your playoff stock, I guess. I mean, you're you're getting to that point where guys that haven't really figured it out, figured out what role they fit in the league, are just trying to extend their careers. We we joke all the time; the average career is very short in the NBA. So as long as LeBron and Chris Paul have been playing, you take for granted the fact that there's always that new wave of talent coming in on very cheap deals, on rookie deals. You don't have to sign a big veteran. You can draft someone, and, and they can contribute. The Lakers, I want to get back to them with LeBron James and what, what he did signing with this team. They made some weird signings as well. I'm curious to see. Warriors are obviously the standard in this league, but this seems like a long-term play to me because even right now, I wouldn't put them past the Rockets. I'm not sure they're even the solid three seed in the West. What's the move for the Lakers? Is LeBron going to be content to be a 4-5 seed? Are they going to hedge the future and just start to try to acquire guys like Kawhi? What do you think with them? I, yeah, I think I think it's he's positioning himself and the team. Like Obviously, they want to go after Kawhi. There's way too much expected on that end. But um, I think that you know he's making a play for the Lakers' future as well as himself. Like By putting yourself in L.A., you started to get more into movies and TV and you know that outside of basketball um Mm -hmm. discussion and like no offense to you know cleveland but like la is la cleveland's cleveland like if you're trying to market yourself and really become a global superstar you come to la you come to new york you you know these bigger bigger markets that you know are always featured on tv and i mean the lakers you can't go wrong there you know you got one of the top two franchises in the history of the nba and now you're in the discussions with Magic, you know, just by just by even signing, you know, it's the discussions have already started. Like, is he the best to ever don the jersey, you know? And yeah. I, I think I think he's really positioning himself to, you know, if he can make this team successful, he puts himself above Jordan, no question. Yeah, you know, no t- no player has ever won three uh, an NBA title. I don't think with three teams as the Finals MVP. Right. There hasn't been a player to win an MVP with three different franchises, so it is a new challenge. I think a guy like LeBron could have still, I mean, he could have stayed in Cleveland and still been the global mm-hmm. icon that he is. Yeah. The roster was just gone. They had limited caps, cap flexibility. 
the relationship with Gilbert notwithstanding, there's a lot of reasons for him to leave. I think part of it was, I think basketball-wise too, it wasn't like there was a team he could go to next year and you would say, we're definitely going to beat the Warriors. Like It just didn't exist. So maybe go to the West, figure out how to build a, a team depending on how long his prime is going to last. I know he keeps defying the odds, but he is going to be 34. I think they're going to target Kawhi Leonard, but will they and should they try to get him this year? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Brandon Ingram is probably going to have to be part of that trade. If the Spurs are holding up a ransom, they want to be patient. It'd be dangerous to overpay like the Nuggets and Knicks did in the, in the Carmella trade back in the day. Do you think they should make that move now or run the risk of maybe losing him a la Paul George? I don't, I don't know. What do you think? I, I honestly think the smartest play if you're the Lakers is, is you don't go after him right now. Like mm-hmm. Unless he's you're getting a better deal than what they're looking at right now, which is what? Three players and like four picks? Something like that. Yeah. So like think about it this way. If, if, if you don't go after him right now and he stays in San Antonio, like what, what happens then? San Antonio is no longer going to be a playoff threat to you if Kawhi's not touching the floor, which is what it mm-hmm. seems like he's going to do. He's probably going to hold out if, if he stays in, in San Antonio. So, like, it could be a double whammy where, like, regardless of if you go after him now or not, he's going to be available in a year, most likely. So Yeah. The you know, holdout is interesting. I'm still hesitant to believe that just because there's all that injury question. Yep. I think he kind of has to kind of prove to the rest of the league, like, hey, I'm still Kawhi Leonard. Yep. Top five player, like first team All-NBA, Kawhi Leonard. Could, could you see him playing like half a season and then shutting himself down? Like, I, yeah, I, I could in that case, but that's kind of a bad look as well. Like, I don't know if that's the popular choice. I don't know what he really wants to do other than obviously be in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there will be time to make a deal, whether it's all-star break or not. I think if you have the goods and no team's going to match, other than maybe the Celtics, which I wouldn't do it if I was them. They, they're building something young. You have those affordable contracts, other than maybe to just mess with the Lakers and drive the price up. That's the only way yeah. I would get into the negotiations. And knowing Danny Ainge, he would do that. <laughs> He'd trade anybody, yeah. including his mother probably. I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> but the signings the Lakers did make were John Rondo, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, all right, Javel and bringing back uh, KCP. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt of McGee because that was a nice rehabilitation tour. It wasn't an expensive contract. I think he can contribute and give him athleticism up front. Rondo and Stevenson probably still would have been available now. Didn't need to rush those signings. Rondo basically is a, is a more polished version of Lonzo Ball where he's going to lead the offense and not really shoot. Lance is Lance Stevenson. <laughs> Weird. I'm trying to figure out what type of team they're going to be with these signings. I just haven't figured it out yet. Well, yeah, I mean, they're pretty fortunate that these are short-term signings, and that mm-hmm. kind of harkens back to like what the what the league's trending towards. So they, they just want to play with greatness. I mean, Rajon Rondo, I've heard from numerous people that he just has the smartest mind in the NBA right now, yeah. at least for a player. Connect four champion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. like, with, with that signing, I really like it. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword. You, you saw what happened in, in Dallas with Rondo. You know, he basically yeah, got he run out, out of town. He checks out. He's a disaster. I agree. But I think I think the, the play from the Lakers is genius because, like, he's coming in as a pass-first point guard, and you're giving him arguably one of the top two players of all time. So yeah. he's got this opportunity to feed him. He's got JaVale McGee, who's, you know, a high flyer, or used to be, but still a big, a big presence down low. And then you've got Lance Stevenson, who, when he's on, is one of you know the streakiest players in the league. So I, I think the Rondo move, I really 
am excited about, but at the same time, it's more like a, is this going to work? Mm-hmm. And if it does, it's going to be like Lob City, in my opinion. Oh, but yeah. if it doesn't work, I mean, LeBron is going to be questioning, did I make the right decision, or at least for that first year. I like the competition with Rondo and Ball in training camp. I mean, that Rondo's not going to go easy on him. We know that. And KCP, I mean, that is a... That's the part of LeBron that I'm not really a fan of is the GM agency guy getting deals for his boys. I mean, that's where the franchises can get really hamstrung. And I think we talked about overpaying. That's a lot of money to give a guy that I don't think's quite earned it yet. I think he could have found better value at other players, but we'll see there. And you, and what did you think of, of Le, the rumors that Lonzo Ball's camp uh, rumored the injury so he would be taken out of trade talks? I think that's there's absolutely truth to that. It, it just makes all too perfect sense because you know, like we said, everybody's fair game on that Lakers roster to be yep. traded. And all the reports are the knee injury might require surgery. Why would you ever leak that? Like, I'm trying to think why you would do it other than to keep yourself from getting traded. That There's a realistic chance, probably a coin flip chance, that it'll just heal on its own and you won't need surgery. Exactly. So we would have never heard about this. And, and that's the way it looks. Like, a lot of people are saying he's probably going to pass on the surgery and it's just going to heal itself. And that's the, the question that I think Laker fans, the front office, and I'll pose to you. If, if the deal to get Kawhi Leonard involves Ingram, some draft picks, and one of either, let's say, Ball or Kuzma, which one would you trade? I would trade Ball straight up because Kuzma is is a pivotal, a, a versatile wing. That, you can shoot. They need shooters on that team. Yeah, too. exactly. And uh, and what's even crazier is they have Josh Hart mentioned in the deal mm-hmm. deal too. And if I'm a Lakers fan, I do not want a point guard that is Josh Hart's mold going to Greg Popovich. Oh God, yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> I also think look at you know need look at. You know, supply and demand. There's more point guards than there are wing players like Kuzma, and those guys can really be an impact on the defensive end too. So that's where I look at Rob Crowder, Money Mitch effect. All right, we'll talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder because I really want to hear your take on Paul George and the future of this team. I don't really know what the point of the three-part documentary series on ESPN was. If it was going to result in you know staying home, and it sounded like he knew that he was going to be a Thunder a lot longer than everybody else did. But he decides to stay. He's going back. He said unfinished business. He's going to go back to team with Russ and OKC. It's a great. It's always a great day when you could keep a player like his caliber. But the salary cap and the tax bill is unlike anything that franchise has ever seen. Is it as startling to you, a fan, that you're paying this much in luxury tax bills? I I think the biggest thing that really just rings true with the Thunder fans is the painful reality that we, a couple years ago, chose to get rid of Harden and not pay the luxury tax, and that was pennies compared to what we're looking at right now. Yeah, it was like a $12 million difference in his deal that would have pushed you over. And it wasn't even... I think you could have, yeah, it was, it was basically three outcomes. You could have gone to the luxury tax, you could have waited it out a year, and that, or traded it. But we're talking $100 million over because they're a repeat offender? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that we can really draw from this is that, you know, I think Presti is nowhere near done, like, doing his magic. And I, I, the thing I think is coming is Melo is going to get traded somewhere. As or a bought out, down. maybe. Or bought out. And that, that, I think, is, I mean, either one I'm fine with. I just think... For multiple reasons, we need him off this roster, and that's not just money. Like Basketball fit, too. Basketball fit, uh, personality. Like You saw that awesome party that Russ threw, and yeah. where you know who's 
Mello's arguably favorite rapper, Nas. Yeah. Where was Mello at the party? You know, like wow. you would expect to have seen cool. that third guy with one of his favorite New York rappers. Where he's, you know, where he spent, you know, a decade. He had a bad season. Definitely a bad playoff series. And he's shutting down any talk about him coming off the bench, helping the team. And I don't. I mean, that's what I can't stand. I yeah, and I'm thinking basketball fit what the best way to build a contender is because you can't run back the same roster that didn't get out of the first round. So I'm wondering what the changes are going to be. Well, I think a lot of people are overlooking the Thunder because of how they played down the stretch. And mm-hmm. what was the biggest difference as to why the Thunder played poorly? Well, they lost the top a top four defender in the NBA, Andre mm-hmm. Robertson. You look yeah. at defensive rating, he's always in the top five. So when he was in the in, in the lineup, you know, mm-hmm. we're a top five offense, a top eight defense. Mm-hmm. You know, when he plummeted or when he got injured, we plummeted to respectively, I think, fourteen and eighteen. Mm-hmm. So you're That's looking at loss, yeah. you're looking at an eight seed versus if you're a, a four or five six in rankings. You know, like. If you're looking between both conferences, that's a two or a three seed. So uh, I think a lot of people are kind of getting lost in the weeds and forgetting that Robertson can still play. Like, mind you, he might be one of the worst offensive basketball players I've ever seen in the NBA. But defensively, he completely changes that team. Right. It's interesting to see that offensively he had that effect too. And I wonder, I guess I'm wondering what if Melo is traded or bought out, what does that, who fits in? Does somebody move up? Is there an addition that you can make via trade? how the roster is built. Because obviously Russ and PG is a good start. I don't really know how Noel's going to fit in, if he can still play, but what that, how that starting five rounds into form without Mel would be my concern or question. Yeah, I think you got to look to what free agents haven't been signed yet. You've got Marcus Smart, who we don't yeah. know what the Celtics are going to do with him, well, and he played college ball. What a ball. homecoming that would be. That would be insane. You'd get the jersey. But, I know you would. Oh, sure. I already have a Celtics Marcus Smart jersey, so I just, you know... Re-up it with the Thunder. And then you got Luke Luke Mbamute is an unrestricted free agent. Wayne Ellington as well. Uh, Rodney Hood hasn't landed anywhere yet. Um, he's restricted, but word is that he might actually end up in La La Land, but you didn't hear that from me. Okay. Uh, but I've heard from a very good source. Uh, you know, Greg Monroe? Question mark. I mean, Would the you Thunder take a run get, at Beasley? That, that was I mean, what I was about to say. Yeah. Like, would I... I mean, what do you have to lose in the short? Like, honestly, I think this is kind of a war of attrition in the West. Like, it's not necessarily what you're doing right now with the Warriors being as good as they are. I think it's setting yourself up for, say, two years down the road when, you know, their salary cap comes to a header. But are they ever not going to be good? I mean, they seem to just keep reloading. So I, I I think there's a lot of opportunities to kind of retool, but... I don't think there's a definite answer as to, like, how do you replicate what they did? Well, the Thunder were there with Harden, yeah. Ibaka, Durant, you know, off the top. Right. And then uh, when they drafted Steve Drafting Adams, three MVPs is just insane to me. Like, yeah. It's just, I mean, and only Durant, and Durant was the only one that really fell into their laps. Like, that's the only one that was like, okay. I mean, they took chances on the other two, and they panned out, and they drafted Ibaka's. Steven Adams, I mean... Reggie Jackson, even. I think you... part of it is the standard of, look, the Warriors are ridiculous. The other side of it, too, though, on the flip side, is teams are going to get better. So it's hard to say, yeah, we were good. We'll play the same team. We'll be fine if we're healthy. Because you don't know, good or bad, what's going to happen with other teams. The Warriors adding Boogie, I keep coming back to that, though. It's On one hand, I get why teams weren't offering him or, or quick to offer him a mega deal. 
I think he could have got that deal anywhere else in the league. And I think it was almost like knowing how Boogie is. Like, okay, you don't want to give me a mega deal? I'll prove myself on a, on a cheap deal with the best team in the world. Yeah. And it's a perfect gamble for them because what do they care if he doesn't play till January? Any other team, they're probably pushing him a lot harder to get back onto the court. And it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make uh, a lot of people happy, but got to give it up for the Warriors for, again, figuring out a way to make their team better. What did you think of the reports that said the Lakers didn't, like, he, there were, there's word that Boogie would have taken that deal if the Lakers would have offered it. Like, was that wise by the Lakers to pass on that, or, or would that have changed their culture? Culture, I don't think, is a, is yeah. a thing because of the guys that they brought in. I think a lot wasn't made about how serious the Achilles injury was. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was talked about as much how this is a January injury. I mean, he got hurt when in March of last year. This is a solid 10-month injury. Yep. Way worse than any other injury in terms of being able to run and being able to contribute. So, Especially as a big man. like yeah. This is a much more difficult injury for big men. I honestly don't think the Lakers thought they would lose Paul George, so they probably didn't have a backup plan for that second star originally and, and weren't really planning it out that way. I Look, it, it's they're going to be tough to beat regardless. When the Rockets re-signed Chris Paul, I thought the years on that deal was just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that good for him getting that money, $40 million a year for the next four years, because you know he's not opting out after year three. But he can't play more than about 32 minutes, 35 minutes a game. He tried against the Warriors, and he got hurt. I yep. mean, it, it happens with aging players. It's happened with Chris Paul the last couple of years. He has not played a full season. They got to figure out a way to add depth around that, and they ha- they absolutely now have to bring back Clint Capella. They got to make that work. Yeah. Too. So, like, what what do you think is the reasoning behind Capella being on the block still? Like, he's restricted, but like, yeah. how is he not signed? We're almost a what a week. Yeah. Well, they would have signed him, I think, during the year or tried to. I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he wants to explore what's out there. Obviously, they're restricted, so they can just match any deal that he gets. But I think part of it was the LeBron factor. If you have a prayer, you got to keep the money off the books and hopeful that you know that would happen. But when LeBron opted out, that pretty much killed any chance of getting him. But yeah, I mean, he's gotten better every year. He was killing the Warriors more than any team in that playoff series. I don't know. Maybe he's the play here. Maybe he's the reason why. Maybe he's thinking, and, and like, I'll milk this out a little bit. With Kawhi, like, do you think there's a shot in hell that the Rockets are able to pry Kawhi? Like, do they risk that with the guns? I I don't know that there is because I wouldn't trade Capella. I wouldn't go super small. I mean, no. as great as Kawhi is, that's the piece that I think the Spurs would covet. And, my God, you give Popovich Capella. I mean, yeah. what's he going to look like in the next couple of years? So, again, I think it's all speculative, and I think he will be signed. Jokic, I thought there was that needle in the haystack chance that maybe some team swipe, swoops in. I would have absolutely. Which, by the way, if the Nuggets, if Michael Porter Jr. pans out, that's going to be a dangerous team, a very dangerous team in the next five years or so. Yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, rumors that he could, you know, be a Durant-type player, like mm. that impactful on the scoring end of the game. So When you've taken that chance, like I get not in the top six or seven, but after that it's like, okay. Clippers had two shots and didn't gamble there. Like, Yeah, I mean... It- it's, it's pretty crazy, though. I mean, like, when I was working the live show, I was working with our talent, and I'm, I'm not going to reveal my source, but, like, the night before, or the uh, full 24 hours before the draft, you know, we were discussing, you know, um, Michael Porter, and, and we got word that, like, most teams realize that his injury is much worse, and, like, 
there were shades of Brandon Roy brought up in that he had a degenerative back issue. So this could be a Miles Jack type situation with the Jaguars where, you know, they pick Mm -hmm. this player, but, you know, you realize you're on the clock for maybe five years. But, you know, that's five years you wouldn't have this caliber of a player. So is it worth it? We'll right. see. And that first deal, especially where he's drafted, isn't going to cost teams much of anything. So if he does pan out, wow. Yeah. That is... I just, with two picks like the Clippers had, I would have definitely taken a chance on him. Just knowing what, you know, Parade All-American, what he was capable of. I was interested, too, because if the cap goes up, some of the draft pick trades, when are we going to have that, that quote-unquote double draft? When high school kids come in and you get the Parade All, and you get the first one-and-dones. Yep. It's going to be 2021, maybe 2022. And I, I, I've heard word that um, uh, Kristen Peake said the 2021 draft already is looking to be one of the best drafts ever. Wow. We're yeah. already looking ahead at kids that are what, high school sophomores. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean. Sophomores. Are, the, yeah. the talent of the players coming out is just obscene. I mean, I, I, I'm watching the Zion Williamson kid who's committed to Duke. And, and R.J. Barrett, too. Both of them at Duke. And Cam Reddish. I mean, Cam Reddish, a West Town dude. Like, that, that – that high school's put out Daniel Ochefu and uh, and Mo Bamba recently, and now Cam Reddish. So you know, there's a lot of talent that you know is 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 looking to really saturate the NBA here pretty soon. Money Mitch effect, Rob Crowder, a few more uh, free agent notes to to discuss. We should bring up the Dwight Howard situation. I just can't I can't imagine a player that <laughs> was more of a surefire Hall of Famer ten years ago. Yeah, that I can't see putting him in now. I mean, it's you, insane you, to say. Like, if you would have said that to us ten years ago, we'd been like, "You're crazy." Yeah, I mean, it's shades of Shaquille O'Neal if you think about it. It's like a big man that really took a young team that had really no right being in the championship in the finals. You could argue that that was more impressive than what Shaq did. Cause Shaq oh, I had would agree. Penny, who was a top at least fifteen player, ten player at the time, and D three and or three D and uh, yeah. Nick Anderson. Like, <laughs> and if, then if, Dwight's yeah. was with Rashard Lewis, who had a good year, but just a bunch of good. Average players. Yeah. He has to be the worst teammate in the world. Like, there's no other way around it that you wear out your welcome at every locker room you've been in. Now the Wizards were hearing, but I just... If you're going to contend, I can't see bringing him in. Like, there's just no. there's just no way. Well, I mean, I don't even think the Wizards can really say they're contending. I mean, they've never really put themselves in that position. And then everything that's been going on with Gortat, trying to move him. Did well, they end they up moving did. him? They did. They moved him. And the thing about yeah. that was John Wall. I mean... It, there have been rumblings that it was becoming Bradley Beal's team, and I think it's pretty much clinched given the fact that Wall, by all accounts, is not leading. Yeah. The Gortat-Wall beef in the locker room stemmed over Gortat calling him out like, look, you can't just switch all the time and leave me out to dry, and Wall just cursed him out and, I mean, not accountable. Yeah. They're, they're a mess, but hey, all the Dwight to keep... Keep collecting checks and you know doing what you can, but it's just it's a shame because all that talent that he had that he either isn't focused or just doesn't care enough. I mean, I don't know what what it is, but it's, it's a shame because he's unbelievably gifted. Yeah, I mean, is there really a correlation with him to any other player in any other sport? I mean, does anyone jump to your mind immediately that had that kind of impact and really could have been the future of the league if he really embraced it and then just squandered it because who knows why? You know? Well, comes to my mind, I would... Scott, Josh Gordon count? like. Well, Gordon looks like... Well, we'll see what happens there. Would RG3 be a contender? 
I know there were injuries Potentially. There. I mean, he, I, I've heard... Because that first year was insane. And it wasn't just the injury. There were other rumblings of... I heard he just him. shut himself down and just didn't strive to get better. Right. Like, which, it sounds like Dwight, like, when he was in Orlando, he was clicking. But for some reason, he just hasn't developed his game, has not, you know, fixed his attitude. I don't, I, You know, I don't know where the disconnect is. And I think that's what's even more frustrating about this is, like, He's got all the tools, and, you know, from a from a fan's perspective, it's just like, you want this person to be great. Like, you tell me you didn't root for the Magic during that series. Like It was exciting to watch them play, and I think part of it is, I know the game's changing, but there's always a place for him. Like we were talking about, he could be a, he could be the first big off the bench on any team if, he, if his head was in it. Like, he's at least that good. Like, everybody knows that. So there's always a disconnect. And that does happen with athletes where there's just something missing. Maybe it's between the ears or or something. But Yeah, I think with him it just sounds like it's mental. He just doesn't have that drive to, you know, become better or, you know, win, which, you know, that's his right. Yeah. But it's, you know, from a from a fan or a media perspective, I don't think there's anything more frustrating. So let me ask you this. Do you think in over the course of your life you've ever wanted something as much as the Mavericks wanted DeAndre Jordan? Oh man. Because it's uh, been a while. Yeah, I, long time I, coming. He's finally on that one year deal, twenty four million, which another guy taking a one year deal, but yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I I just can't believe that happened that way. Like they they've got DeAndre, but like if you're DeAndre, like what what do you? I mean, you're getting twenty five mil, twenty four mil, but like you're on a team that is in the West, and what do you are you competing for eighth place? Like, or are you just looking to come home and have fun? Like. I, yeah, well, and that's not even home, right? Is, He's from Houston. Yeah, the so. flip side is the Clippers were at a lesser advantage competing for eighth place because I think the Mavericks are going to be a solid, competent team. Doncic pans out some of the moves they've made. I think the one-year deal might be that, just an audition for both him and to see how the team does. And yeah. if it works out, hey, I'll stay here and we'll build something, probably on Dirk's last legs. And And do you see, like... Him going from a Doc Rivers situation where clearly Doc is becoming a pariah, at least to the NBA circles. Like, yeah. he's going to Rick Carlisle, who can be hypercritical of his players. I like Rick Carlisle as a coach. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I do too. But, uh, you know, he's not the easiest coach to play for. You no, saw no. what happened with Rondo. By no means am I saying DeAndre mm. is a Rondo. Yeah. But, and then on top of that, from an owner's standpoint, now you've got to deal with, you know, you go from Balmer to Mark Cuban. Um, you know, does do you think that's added pressure for him, or do you think this is uh, you know a less pressure situation than he ran into in in L.A. if he would have played? I think it's more pressure. I also think the Clippers are going full scale rebuild. Jerry West is at the helm. This is a challenge for him. Doc's really not. Doc's. I don't know if he's checked out, but he has checked out in the past in these situations, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's thinking, "Hey, maybe I'm not going to be here much longer." You know, his son getting traded was an indicator of that. Yep. But. Yeah, I mean, I think athletes do want to challenge themselves. This might be the bizarro of a Dwight Howard where, all right, this is a new challenge. This is going to be a tougher. Let's see how this goes. Oh, 100. I get taking a one-year deal, though, because you're not sure. And then, and if he has a great year, if he if he's all you know, second-team, third-team All-NBA, then the money's going to be there. Yeah, exactly. And he's got that opportunity. I mean, if Doncic is really that dude, you know, this could be a, a, a an exciting season and he could really blow up his stock. Well, who's so... What's the hot rumor? So he enters free agency again next year. The guy that I think has always wanted to play with him is KD. We'll see. And M. Kyrie, too. I mean, next year's class, we could be doing this all over again, which I, I, we keep hearing franchises like the Knicks being there, but I don't know. 
I, the only way I could see the Knicks being a destination next year is if team if these players are like, this is a challenge. I want to bring basketball back in the Mecca. Because I mean, other than that, what have they really been building? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah. I, I, I would argue, like, do you think they could get those players with the current ownership and management that they have? Like, is Dolan trusted enough to where, you know, people will want to go and be a part of an organization where Charles Oakley is trying to fight, <laughs> you know? like Well, Fisdale being the coach was a step in the right direction. I think they might be maybe finally changing the culture. It is the East, and I hope we get the new playoff. I hope we get a 1-16, to but if we don't, I mean, why wouldn't you want to try, try it in the East where you can maybe get to the finals and, and yeah. see what happens? Because I don't know. I mean, teams that I think, like everybody was talking about Celtics, Sixers being automatic locks to go to the conference finals again. That might very well be true. But those are not perfect basketball teams. No. I think we do this all the time. When there's an opening, we just like to pump up. All right, they're next up. So they're just going to sl- slide right in or whatever you want to call it. Wizards, or I mean, not Wizards, obviously, but like the Celtics, we don't know what they're going to look like with everybody contributing what the rotation is going to look like. And yep. the Sixers were a young team that made some pretty rookie dumb mistakes down the stretch. Yep. So will they correct it their first, next go around? Maybe. But I still think there's some holes there as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think if you're the Celtics too, you've got to really try to lock up Marcus Smart. Like that's a grit and grind that you didn't have, that you don't really have uh, on the rest of the team. So. And obviously Gordon Hayward coming back is massive, you know, bringing back an arguably a top 20, top 25 player in the league. So I, I think the Celtics are, are definitely in the driver's seat in the East with Brad Stevens at the helm. But, man, those Sixers are coming up real quick. Uh, you know, does does JoJo's game improve? Is he going to play more next year? Is uh, Ben Simmons going to learn how to shoot the ball better? Like, there's a lot of questions that, if, if true, will drastically swing that conference. Need JoJo to get in better shape. We talk about this with Biggs, but he was a little tired in the playoffs last year. So yeah. I think these are good questions. That will be a fun playoff rivalry if we see it. But I wouldn't count out teams like the Pacers if they can make another addition with how they've been going. And it, It's going to be fascinating without LeBron in this conference. Kind of exciting, but the finals will be, you know. Where do where do you where do you rank the Raptors at least you know in in preseason like you know you got this team that seemingly is good every year in the regular season but then they seem to run into LeBron James against Steamrolled like is this are mentally they they're to... yeah mentally they're kind of weak also it's not just the LeBron factor they had other playoff series where I mean the Wizards swept them that one year and they've you know they've been lucky to get out of you know all those game one home losses they had they're going to be a top three four seed in the in the East but. Until they do it, I mean, I think Casey was a goner just because they wanted their coach in there. They wanted a, a hired coach by the GM. But I don't know. I mean, they're they're getting older. Lowry's getting up there. DeRozan, I don't know who. I don't know if he can be the guy on a team. It's fascinating. Yeah, and Ibaka, you know, he's not as athletic as he used to be. Not saying he's not athletic, but he's not jumping out of the gym and swatting every weak side layup. We'll see. Well, NBA free agency, it's always a blast. There's still some moves to be made. Rob Crowder, this was fun. Who's winning the World Cup? I got to know your, your take on that. Who's Man, I, I got a very unpopular decision, but uh, I'm leaning toward Croatia. I think they're the most okay. disciplined, and their midfield is just abusive. So, um, it's the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Dark Horse, I, or not Dark Horse, but uh, 
Brazil, I think, has the you know the most talented roster. I think England might get bounced by Sweden potentially. Mm. Um, just uh, just a guess, but um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ending if if the previous matches are any indication. Oh yeah, oh yeah, France up there as well. Yeah, I Belgium. think Belgium. I mean, there's just as long as it's not Russia, I'm cool. So just as long yeah. as Russia doesn't win it, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm standing too. <laughs> All right, Rob Crowder, this was fun. We'll be talking soon. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. All right, big thanks to Rob Crowder for coming on today's show and talking NBA free agency. Make sure you check out all the great work that he's doing at Yahoo Sports on social media. His team's putting up some great content, to say the least. And we'll have him back on for sure to keep tabs on the Oklahoma City Thunder, as well as college football season, which is right around the corner. Just want to remind you guys, it's starting very soon. We can't wait for it. All right, next up, time to talk UFC 226 with Jose Youngs, an MMA writer from Fansided. He's in Vegas covering the title fight, the heavyweight title fight between Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier. A lot to get to as we break down the whole card, talk about Ronda Rousey getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, and much, much more. It's Jose Young's on the Money Mitch Effect from Vegas. Here it is now. All right. On the eve of UFC 226 in Las Vegas, got my favorite UFC reporter here to talk. The show from Fansided. Jose Young's back on the Money Mitch Effect. Jose from Vegas. Thanks for joining the show. Anytime, man. I always make time for Money Mitch. You've had an interesting and a very busy couple of days, and it just keeps getting ratcheted up. It seems like this is a very unpredictable, uh, very, very eventful build-up to a pay-per-view. But unfortunately, it's been a little disappointing in some regards, to say the least. And I want to start with what was supposed to be the co-main event which on July 4th was canceled. Max Holloway was supposed to be returning to the octagon. He was supposed to be fighting Ortega, and we were supposed to get Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, which a lot of fans had wanted for that featherweight title, but it was not to be. Holloway was pulled from the card, concussion-like symptoms. Very bizarre. I think I saw you use that phrase as well, just very weird setting. Was it a complete shock to everybody? Because it seemed like to those on the outside, this wasn't even considered a thing. It was he was fine. He was finally going to get back to the octagon. Was this a total shock to you? It was. It was a shock, but then when it was when it was, when it was announced, it it's it's hard to say. Um, he definitely looked off at at open workouts. I mean, I had someone literally tweet me like, "Why was Max Max's uh, open workout so boring? Uh, why was he? Why did he only jab like?" He didn't really do he, – he didn't look himself. People thought it was maybe the weight cut or maybe it was hurt, but, like, maybe, like, a knee that he was fighting through. But then it turns out that he had, like, concussion-like symptoms and he wasn't allowed to fight. Like, I don't think anyone was expecting that because that's pretty horrifying. But mm-hmm. at media – at open workouts, there were definitely fans and media guys saying, like, wow, Max, Max's open workout was kind of boring, and that's usually not the case. We just thought – we didn't think it was concussion, but people definitely noticed. Well, this is the second time. I mean, you mentioned it. The last fight he was pulled for, Jose, was a weight cut-related thing. Now you hear Dana White say that it's probably going to be a while. He's not going to fight in the octagon anytime soon. 
What's his future look like, and what's the future of that belt, the featherweight division, look like? I know Ortega doesn't look like he's going to be fighting. I, I think Jeremy Stevens would like to fight, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So what's next for both these guys in that weight division? Uh, I mean, Jeremy Stevens would be the only one if they are going to book, a say, an interim fight, because Dana said uh, Max isn't going to fight anytime soon, uh, which is smart. Obviously, they want to see what the, what the case is, because like, if it's just like uh, – a weight cut thing or maybe he hurt his knee or something like that or but if it's serious like so, some people are saying like oh it could be epilepsy it could be uh diabetes or i'm like i don't know what all if it's any of those but like they want to figure out what this is asap because mm-hmm. if it's like life-threatening then he shouldn't fight anytime soon and he should give up the belt but if it's like oh he can come back in september october november then we can wait but they they want to do all the MRIs they possibly can to find out. Because right. Max is only 26. Yeah. Uh, he's a 26-year-old champion, so losing him would be a big blow. But if it, they want to find out first what how serious the matter is. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this fight. Obviously, first things first, he's got to get healthy. He was coming in on a 12-fight win streak. Ortega looked like he was primed to give a run to Holloway for that belt. But unfortunately, it is not the case. So one fight removed, unfortunately. The good thing is, for everybody else, there's a lot of good fights on this UFC 226 card. And like I always do, Jose, I want to talk about some of the undercard fights. What's caught your eye? Uh, It's good to see Uriah Hall back fighting against Costa, who I guess they rescheduled this fight for now. Costa pulled out when they were supposed to fight originally. But what do you think are some of the fights that casual fans should really pay attention to? What catches your eye on the prelim cards? Well, in the in the if you're if you're looking at just the fight pass prelims, I mean Dan Hooker uh, is by far one of the, the the best prospects in the lightweight division. I mean he's absolutely massive for 155 pounds, putting people not only winning but he's putting them away in devastating fashion. So uh, if if you're just going to tune into the into the fight pass prelims, I would definitely say Dan Hooker. I mean he knocked out Ross Pearson, he submitted Mark Casey, he knocked out Jim Miller. So. He's on a three-fight win streak since return. He did go up to featherweight, down to featherweight, way too big to cut all that weight. Lost to E.R. Rodriguez, lost to Jason Knight. As soon as he jumped back up to lightweight, he's looked like a new man and a future champion. Uh, moving to the prelim card, uh, obviously you got Uriah Hall and Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa is a physical freak. Like, if you look at him, you would have no idea how he makes 185 pounds. He's like a Brazilian Hulk. He's like a linebacker. Uh, he's undefeated. Putting people away, he fit, he beat Johnny Hendricks. Uriah Hall is obviously a great a great stepping stone, a great matchup. He's no pushover by any means. He has the big name from that knockout he had on Tough. So uh, I would definitely say those two. And then like Jakar Close is always great. He's an Arizona boy, up and coming guy. Rafael Sansao is the number three bantamweight in the world, and he has every right to want to sit out, maybe wait for a title shot or ask for a fight against Marlon Moraes, who just knocked out Jimmy Rivera. But he wanted to stay active. He was tired of waiting around. He goes, "Give me anyone. I don't care." And, Rob Font, New England boy, uh, I've interviewed him a million times. Absolutely awesome interview, great guy to talk to. He's ranked number 11, so that's really risky. And he's he's by far, he's not, he's much better than his ranking uh, dictates. So Rafael Asunso putting his number three ranking on the line against a number 11 ranked guy who could easily win is, uh, is a very intriguing matchup. So literally just throw a dart at any of these fights and it's going to be a banger. Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of good fights on the undercard, and I'm I, I'm with you. I mean, I I've followed Hooker a little bit, and he looks like a giant. Like I <laughs> like I I'm gonna be completely honest. I didn't think he was in the right weight class. I thought I read it wrong. Like I I'm yeah. There's 
Anytime you can get a, a fight card with this depth, I think it's a good thing. And even the women's strawweight fight, the first fight of the night, I think that could set the tone for a really yeah, good evening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, literally every single fight card, like I said, is like, if we were going to lose Max versus Brian, which obviously I'm super bummed we, we won't get, I'm glad we lost it from this card because this card doesn't need saving. It was like that was the cherry on the cake, and we just lost the cherry. We still have the rest of the cake, and we can enjoy it. That's a really good uh, – well, it may be hungry, first of all, but that's a very good metaphor <laughs> um, as well. Before we get to the main card, I do want to uh, I do want to mention some of the other stuff going on this weekend at EFC 226 with Jose Young's on the Money Mitch effect. Ronda Rousey's getting inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, and I wanted to bring this up because – while she didn't end her tenure in great terms at all, losing her last two fights and, and really not looking like she wants to ever continue again, she is, a lot of people would say, myself included, a pioneer in the octagon. So what do you think about that, Jose, that she's getting into inducted already? Do you think it's the right time? Do you think she's deserving of this of this honor? you think the time's right? That's the big question. I mean, will she? would she go in? I mean, it's a no-brainer. I mean... If anyone deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, it's Ronda Rousey. Whether it, it's hard, I mean, because she, every indication I've heard is she's not coming back. She's done fighting. So maybe they just they want they didn't want to wait because she's she does have the sign of the WWE right now. Maybe they just struck a deal where Brock can do some uh, some co-fighting or some pr- like promotional stuff for the UFC and WWE. Too. They've done that a million times, but. If anyone's, if they're going to bend the rules for anyone, and if anyone deserves to have the rules bent for them, it's it is Ronda. I mean, she is the face of women's MMA. The woman wouldn't be in the UFC uh, if it wasn't for her. So yeah, I would. I don't have a problem with her going in right away. I agree because I I would be shocked if she ever fought again. And yeah, you could say there were better fighters, but she put that division, she put that sport for the four females on the map. So I think she's absolutely yeah. deserves to to be there as a pioneer. Yeah. As somebody that grew grew the game is the is the metaphor that they always use in other sports, and I think she absolutely, um, I think she absolutely did just that. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was you kind of catching wind of uh, the little impromptu stare down a little bit ago with Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't know that rivalry was back on. Should I get my popcorn ready? Oh, not only is it they're fighting. No, that's a they're fighting for Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy promotion. Like that is one hundred percent happening. Uh, the trilogy fight for it's real weird. I don't think it should be happening. I don't know a lot of people who want that to happen, but it, you're going to watch. It's going to do well. It's going to do big numbers. So whether you agree with the decision to book that trilogy fight or not, it's, you're going to you're going to pay attention. But yeah, that fight is 100. Th- th- there's a reason they stared down today. Like that fight is happening. Both of them are in camp training. Uh, so Oscar De La Hoya is going to put that on. Yeah, real weird sentence to think about. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's crazy. But hey, yeah, I, <laughs> they talk about pioneers who put the sport, you know, in the mainstream. Those guys are absolutely two Hall of Famers. Two Hall of Famers, and uh, yeah, they definitely look like they can still go. All right, let's look at the main card, and I want to do a little aside on this because without Holloway and Ortega in the main card. They bumped up this light heavyweight fight, correct, between Saki and Roundtree Jr.? Uh, they bumped up Mike Perry and oh, Felder to okay. where, yeah, they just bumped that one up. They bumped that one up. But the light heavyweight fight. So I don't know much yeah. about Saki. I know he's kind of new on the scene. He, he only has a couple fights. But Khalil Roundtree Jr., do I have this right that 
his father was a tour manager for Boys to Men? I believe so. I believe that's the case. He's uh, he's one of those up and coming guys too, uh, putting people away, putting people away violently. He does have two losses, but he's a physical specimen. But when you say Khalil, I mean Gokansaki is new on the game, and he only has a couple fights. I don't think. It's hard for me to put into this into perspective to, to describe Gokansaki. I mean, he's one of the greatest kickboxers ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's fought in Tyron Spong and Badahari and Overeem and Rico Verhoeven and Melvin Manhoof and Peter Ayer. It's like you name a kickboxer legend, Gokansaki's fought him. I believe his record is like 85 and 10 as a kickboxer. <laughs> like he's a K, K1, so like many. fought in K1 a bunch of times. Glory. I mean, there's a reason why he's one and one and in the UFC. It's like Connor going to fight Floyd. Like Connor yeah. went to do another sport. That's what Gokensaki's doing now. He's one of the greatest kickboxers who's ever lived. So yeah, he's one and one, but he's better than almost. A, he's better than a big chunk of the UFC's uh, fighters. And right away, when you sign Gokensaki, he's already the best striker in the UFC. No question. Maybe over him because of his kickboxing too. But Gokensaki is by no means a pushover. He's a bad, bad dude. That's great. I mean, I I didn't realize his kickboxing was on that level, and he is older. I, I do want to know, I mean, older relative for someone getting, you know, in the octagon at 34 years old. Why did he make the switch? What was it that made him want to get into the UFC? There's just, there's nothing, there, there's nothing for him to do in kickboxing. He said, I mean, he was the glory light heavyweight champion. He's been kickboxer of the year. He's won the glory tournaments. Uh, he's fought in K1 forever when that existed. He's won a bunch of Muay Thai awards. Like, and if you know anything about Muay Thai, like he's fighting like every month, like every, every few months. So there was just nothing for him left in kickboxing. He said he wanted to try something else. And the UFC is like, yeah, well, like Goken Saki wants to fight in the UFC. Come on down. So yeah, it's, he just wanted something new, and I'm very, very excited to watch him fight a legit fighter. I mean, his first fight against Henrique da Silva was a measuring stick. Henrique da Silva was on a three-fight losing streak. He was like 12-3, and 12-2. So it was a good test, but when he fought Saki, he was already losing a lot. And Khalil Roundtree is, a, is like, a, like I said, a physical specimen, a good grappler, good wrestler. He's an MMA fighter. So this is like a real test of Kenko Kinsaki, one of the greatest strikers, face a legitimate MMA fighter. So they're not, this is by no means like a stepping stone. This is a real fight. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that one. Uh, and the next fight that I do want to talk about, because we're, we're, this is a very deceptively good card, even without Holloway and Ortega, the lightweight fight between Chisea and Pettis. I'm intrigued by this one, because the last time Anthony Pettis, it wasn't a favorable outcome. Dustin Poirier hit him in the ribs and, and basically TKO'd him. It was a heck of a fight, fight of the night, I believe. On uh, in that fight, but he's twenty and seven, taking on Chizaya, who's coming off that Kevin Lee loss. He's fourteen and three, but he's somebody that has big aspirations. He lost his last fight; hasn't fought since June of last year. Over a year since he's been in the octagon. Is this a bounce back fight for Pettis? Do you think he handles him, or is he trending downward? Do you think in the octagon? I don't know if he's trending downward. He's definitely, people have caught up to him. And he, he himself said, like, I mean, he was on a wheeze box. I mean, he kind of let the hype get to his head, and he just he's, he's back to just focusing on fighting and blocking out everything around him. But Michael Chiesa is by no means a pushover. I mean, he's one of the best grapplers. 
Uh, he's he, he 100% fights with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, a lot of people overlook him because he's like a tall, lanky guy with a mullet. So he, a lot of people overlook him or don't give him any chance against fighters. And he fights with a chip on his shoulder. And, like, if you look at his wins, he's submitting, like, he submitted Benil Darius, black belt. Submitted Jim Miller, black belt. Uh, beat Trans- Francisco Trinaldo, black belt. Like, he's... He submitted Ally Quinton to win tough 15. I mean, he's a legit fighter. This is a great fight. I mean, a few years ago, this could have been a contender fight. But like you said, um, Chiesa was supposed to fight uh, Pettis at 223 in Brooklyn. But he's the one that got his head cut open yeah. when Connor threw the doll through the window. So he got that, that, that bout scrapped. The Kevin Lee fight was a little weird. He was stuck in a, a submission, and the referee uh, prematurely stopped it. But he it's pretty safe to say he was on his way to lose anyway. But there was some questions around it. So this is a – I love this fight. This is like a low-key, one of the best fights on the card. And I, this is 50-50 to me. I have no idea who's going to win this. I, if Chiesa submits Anthony Pettis, wouldn't surprise me. But if Anthony Pettis throws like a wheel kick knockout, wouldn't surprise me. So don't, don't sleep on that fight. Those are the best fights. We all know that. It's always good to see those contrast styles and anything can happen there. The welterweight fight between Paul Felder and Mike Perry is kind of one that I'm looking forward to. I, I talked myself into this one. The Irish Dragon, Paul Felder, who started out his career at 10-0, had a couple back-to-back tough losses, but he's riding a three-fight win streak. The Oliveira, I mean, this is a guy that we know, Jose, loves to throw those elbows. The Oliveira win on, at UFC 218 was very impressive. He's fighting yeah. Platinum Mike Perry, who's coming off of a two loss. He's coming off of two straight losses after a really good start to his career. Eleven and three. Max Griffin was the last guy to beat him. I like where Felder's going. Yeah. Do you think he keeps it going, or do you think Perry has what it takes to stop him? Well, this is a weird fight because Paul Felder was originally he's a lightweight, so Paul Felder is a lightweight in the UFC. He's a ranked lightweight, and he was supposed to fight James Vick on the Boise card. But then James Vick got pulled when Justin Gagey was originally supposed to fight Ally Quinta in the main event of USC in Nebraska, and Ally Quinta uh, was pulled from the card. So they needed a new opponent. So they pulled James Vick from the uh, Paul Felder fight, and Paul Felder was left without an opponent, and Paul Felder was absolutely furious because he was supposed to fight uh, Ally Quinta on USC 223 in the Brooklyn card, and then Ally Quinta got pulled to go fight a beat for the title. So Paul Felder would have lost out on his second opponent, for reasons he that were out of his hands so he was like i'll fight anyone just i don't care and then like a few days later or like not even days like a few hours later yancy medeiros was uh, mike perry's original opponent he dropped out with an injury paul felder's like yeah i'll go up to welterweight let's do it i don't care so mike perry's like yeah i'll fight you i just want to fight mike perry's a lunatic so <laughs> this is a like lightweight it. going up to well this is a lightweight paul felder going up to welterweight to fight mike perry just because both of them wanted to fight. They didn't want to wait around. So this is a dangerous one because Paul Felder could – if Paul Felder wins, he would he's not gaining anything lightweight. He, he would be a welterweight. So it, it, this is just a fun fight because they want to fight. They don't care about rankings. It's one of those old schools like Mike Perry's not ranked. Paul Felder's a ranked lightweight. Let him fight a welterweight. It makes no sense. It's just a fun fight, and I love it. I think Paul Felder wins. He's by far the more technical striker uh, fighter. Mike Perry's a, a definition of a brawler. But I, this is, again, love this fight. Just love it. There's no reason for it to happen. Just a great fight. <laughs> That's great. There's no reason for it to happen. I love it, too. 
anytime you can get guys like that in the octagon and they just they're eager that that's insane to me the story you just laid out that they're just yeah i'll go up i'll fight you i don't care let's go uh it's great the two i guess you'd call them co-made events though not officially we got heavyweight fights to end the card still talking jose young's on the money mitch effect ufc 226 bumping up to that number two slot an absolute what should be slugfest between Derek lewis and francis nagano it's the black beast versus the predator and I I feel like it's got to end with some vicious knockout, but I'm just not sure who I'm leaning towards. These are some of the hardest strikers I've seen in combat sports ever, Jose. What do you think is the key to this one? Um, the key to this one is whoever doesn't get hit first. Uh, I don't think this last three rounds, I don't know if the last two rounds. Uh, Derek Lewis seems to have better cardio. I mean, he's done four rounds. I mean, yeah, Francis did five against Stipe, but Stipe just ragdolled him the whole time. Derek Lewis has done four rounds before. It's weird to say Derek Lewis has a better cardio if you look at him, but he did he did lose to Mark Hunt in the fourth round. But he did stop. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm gonna butcher his name. Shamil Abdur 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 Makamav or whatever his name is. Uh, back a few years ago in the fourth round, so he's headlining these fights. He's doing well. He's knocking people out. So if you look on paper, I think you'd have to say Derek Lewis just because of the, the pedigree of opponents he's fought. Uh, he beat Travis Brown, he beat Ryan Nelson, he beat Gabriel Gonzaga, but then Francis Ngannou is literally the hardest hitter in human history. I mean, the Guinness with the World Record <laughs> yeah. recognized him as the hardest punch ever. So first person to land a clean punch is winning. Uh, this is another fun fight. Derek Lewis is a hilarious human being. Probably the best Instagram out of any UFC fighter you'll ever see. He's just meme after meme after meme. Absolutely hilarious human being. Not many people have bad things to say about him, so... Yeah, I love this fight. This is the people's main event. This is the fight that, like, outside of the title fight, this is the one they're most excited for. Yeah, and I agree with Derek Lewis. They should get a percentage. They're helping to sell this card. I mean, Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people that want to see this fight, even more so than some of the, the bigger fights on this card. But all right, you know why we're here. It's the main event. It's champion versus champion, not title versus title. This is a heavyweight title fight. Stipe Majocic puts his title on the line against the currently reigning light heavyweight champ, Daniel Cormier. But i got to ask you first, right off the bat, what exactly happened at today's press conference where Cormier tripped? I saw it. I didn't know what to think. Is he hurt? What's going on there? Jose, you were there. What what exactly went down where Cormier kind of fell and, and was down for a little bit? He just stood up and tripped over a chair or something and limped off the stage and then limped on to do the stare down. I have no idea what has happened, uh, whether he's injured or not. I mean, he seemed like he'd be able to walk on his own. He didn't have anyone carrying him or anything, but there was definitely a visible limp. Uh, I'm absolutely petrified that he's hurt because if anything's going to happen, it would happen right now. So it's terrifying. And I don't, I don't know. I literally have no idea what's happened. I haven't heard from Daniel or his camp or anyone from the UFC about it, but I'll keep looking into it for you. I mean, the look on Dana White's face just t- told it all. Like, really, the look on Dana think. White's face was like someone kicked his dog. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty brutal. I just don't want anything to get in the way of this fight. I don't want there to be, not saying it would be used as a built-in excuse, but just something that could rob us of the fight that we've all wanted from these two guys. And assuming everything goes well, we're going to knock on wood and hope that these two fighters can make it to the octagon healthy and put on a show. It's interesting to see the media build up to this fight. Cormier has gotten into it, not just with John Jones, but with other fighters. He's known for his bravado. But you know, Jose, Stipe just doesn't engage. 
he just does not want to build up the fight with trash talk. It's I'd say it's kind of refreshing. I'm a Stipe guy, so you know I'm putting a positive spin on it. But is it a little odd for you to cover this fight where Stipe could care less about talking trash? No, really. I mean, it is it is weird to have a heavyweight not heavyweight not want to do anything uh, to sell the fight. But at the end of the day, I mean, he holds all the records in the UFC heavyweight division, so he he's like like you said, he lets his fight and do the work. And if he keeps winning, I think Max Holloway said it best. Don't. Don't look to become. Don't talk your way into the money fight. Become the money fight, and that's what Max Holloway did. I mean, Max Holloway didn't turn any fights down. He didn't talk any trash. He's like, the UFC's like, you want to fight this guy? Max is like, yup. You want to fight this guy? Max said, yup, and he just kept winning and winning and winning. And now Max is one of the most popular fighters in the UFC because he just wins. I mean, that's DJ the same way. He's popular. He might not be the most exciting guy, but he's the best fighter alive. And if Stipe wins ten more times, you're going to watch him. It's gonna it's gonna happen, and Daniel Cormier is the one of is the second greatest light heavyweight ever, top five fighters who've ever lived. The only problem is the greatest fighter who's ever lived is in his weight class. Yeah. So, the, the best best sale best salesman in the UFC right now by far. So it's I don't know it doesn't bother me because it's Stipe and that's kind of his gimmick and I kind of like it that he just like this Midwest <laughs> yeah. firefighter, you know, has a pregnant wife and. Loves the Browns and the Indians, and I like it. I, so it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, no, obviously it's it's a, a new spin, not something we're used to, but definitely kind of cool there. Jose, we were all ready for Cormier to move up in weight class, not just because he's so accomplished, but because that light heavyweight division is arguably the weakest of all the divisions in the UFC. But I want to ask you going into this fight, how do you think he's going to handle and how do you think he is handling the weight gain, not cutting weight, not fighting at 205? Do you expect him to be a little sluggish in the cage? Or do you think, based on what you've seen, that he's all ready to go and, and adjusting to a new weight class won't be a problem? Oh, he's 100% ready to go. I mean, there's no question about it. Daniel Cormier is undefeated at heavyweight. The only He, he won the Strikeforce Grand Prix basically only wrestling. He, didn't, he wasn't an MMA fighter yet. He wasn't training like full-time. He was a coach, a wrestling coach. And he was the alternate, and then came and won, like beat Josh Barnett, Bigfoot, and then came in and beat Mir and Roy Nelson and all these guys. So, yeah, Daniel Cormier knows how to win a heavyweight. Uh, you can see he's visibly happier, obviously, because he's not, he's not starving. But he said he's dieting right. He's not eating, like, burgers and pizza and fries. Like, he's eating, like, clean chicken and rice and all that kind of stuff. So he's always, even if you watch all his light heavyweight fights, he's always the smaller fighter size-wise. Like, yeah, he's thicker, but he's always shorter than his opponent, always has a shorter reach than his opponent. So what's the difference in fighting at 205 and then fighting at 240? I mean, he's not that much bigger than Stipe right now. Uh, I mean, not smaller weight-wise than Stipe right now. So I think I wouldn't worry about the size difference if that's what, if that's what people are wondering. So we know what Cormier can do, how he was a Greco-Roman wrestler, how he was phenomenal, how he just takes time and space away and controls the octagon better than maybe anyone we've seen. Do you think he's going to be able to do that against Stipe? And on the flip side, how can Stipe combat? No, with such I a don't think bit? Yeah. Oh, go it's ahead. not no, going to be as easy as <laughs> it's not going to be as easy as Daniel has shown in the past. I mean, Rumble is Anthony Johnson hits just as hard as any heavyweight in the UFC. Right. Like, again, he wasn't the best wrestler. Daniel just put it on him. Uh, Vulcan Ozdemir, like Daniel Cormier said to himself, there are levels to this. The only reason Vulcan got that fight is because he, not, he, he beat the right guys, if that makes sense. Like, he, he rapidly rose through the ranks because he filled in on the short notice and just kept winning. 
and knocking out guys in less than a minute. Uh, so he deserved that fight, but he definitely wasn't on the level. I mean, he beat Gustafson, not a wrestler. Uh, so Cormier is fighting a wrestler. And the last time he fought a wrestler bigger, as big as him or bigger than him was John Jones. So absolutely not is, is it going to be as easy. But, again, I picked Daniel to win this fight. Oh, I did. Okay. Uh, but it's not going to be as easy. I just think Stipe's ability to strike and to also wrestle, I think that's going to be a big thing. But, no, Cormier is a beast, and, and I think he doesn't get enough respect because, as you said, it's the Jones factor. Probably the greatest fighter ever is in his weight class, in his prime at the same time. So, uh, But I'm excited for this fight. Do you think Cormier is going to win it, though? I do, man. Um, I, Stipe's okay. never fought a, a wrestler ever. Like, if you look in the Uf- his UFC, like, the best wrestler he's ever fought is probably Roy Nelson, and they obviously didn't wrestle. I mean... Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, uh, Francis Ngannou, Fabricio Verdun. Like, these guys aren't wrestlers. And, yeah, Roy Nelson is a good wrestler, so even if he did wrestle, I don't know how it would have gone. But this is Daniel Cormier, who's probably the best wrestler in the UFC. It's like him, Yoel Romero, and, like, George St. Pierre are, like, the three best wrestlers. Tyron Woodley, obviously, are the best wrestlers in the UFC. And Daniel Cormier is, like, an Olympic wrestling captain. So he would literally reach the peak of his sport. So it's not like he's fighting a division one All-American. He's fighting an Olympic wrestler, which is the the toughest athletes I've ever met in any sport. So I do think DC is going to win. I think it's going to be a decision, uh, but it's going to be a – this is my favorite fight of the night. It's not going to be a dominant win. I think he's going to edge out like the Gustafson fight. It's going to be who – at the end of the day, the question is who won. It's not going to be. It's not going to be a definitive answer. It's going to. Be, it's going to be a very close edge. But I'm going to pick DC. Okay. All right. You know I got to ride with Stipe, but I get it. I, I totally get why this is the hardest fight he's ever had. Uh, I'm excited. This is great. I. I just. I want to know what's next for both these guys too. Because we got. Look, if Stipe wins, he's just adding to the record he sent with the most heavyweight title defenses and. Not a lot out on the horizon for him that he hasn't seen before. And DC has said he sees two more fights. I mean, you talked about maybe there could be some hitting at retirement from him. He mentioned another fight with Jones and Brock Lesnar. So the whatever happens in the aftermath is going to be just as fascinating, I would think. I mean, it's got DC has already said he's retiring at 40. Well, like that's, what, that's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. He's retiring at the age of 40. So if he if he does hang it up, uh, the MMA world will hate, will will undoubtedly miss him. He's one of the best uh, advocates for this sport. Um, great champion, does everything uh, the UFC asks him to do. So yeah, but yeah, he's retiring at forty. That's that's a no brainer. That's I mean that's gonna that's happening. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I can't wait. UFC two twenty six is going to be off the hook. So yeah, don't don't miss because this could be. Yeah, this fight and then maybe one more, and that's it for DC. So watch him while you can because it's going to be a long time before we get another guy like him. Wow, I'm excited. Well, Jose Young, this was great talking UFC 226. I do want to wrap this up with a couple wrestling thoughts because I know I know how big of a fan you are. Obviously, anyone who listens to you on the show knows how big of a fan you are. I'll start with it. I want I want to say one thing in particular, and it might be considered controversial. I had always, and, and you know I hate GOAT debates and who's the greatest ever and all this stuff in certain sports and whatever. I, and I know you love Charlotte Flair, but I think Alexa Bliss might be the greatest ever. Get out of here. <laughs> Dude, I'm Get telling you. Here. I'm telling you, man, Mike stuff matters. I mean, if we're talking straight worker, I'll give you the edge on Charlotte, but 
I see I see a little young Flair. I see a little young Ric Flair in Alexa Bliss. Yeah, but the difference between Ric Flair and Alexa Bliss is Ric Flair was a great wrestler. I mean, he would put in the work. I mean, Ric Flair also didn't need the belt. Like, he was a that's great true. No, That's a good point. Heel. You know, like, Ric Flair could come in and just say nonsense, and you'd watch a fight. Like, Alexa Bliss needs the belt. Like, when she didn't have the belt, they didn't know what to do with her. Okay. So, I am i don't mind. Like, I don't dislike Alexa Bliss' character at all. She's one of the top five heels in, the, in all of WWE. So. Oh, yeah. All power to her, but I just want something new. Uh, I think if they get if they matched her up with a really hot heel, that won. Uh, and when I say hot heel, I mean like like really like this hyped up heel. Right, like Becky right. Lynch is a perfect yeah, example. Right. Becky Lynch is okay. probably the most popular women's wrestler in the world, not named Ronda Rousey right now. So it, it's an interesting time. I just I just wish they would do something new. Yeah, I I hear you that I, I hear you there. I just you know it, it's 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 a discussion worth having, and it speaks volumes to this divas revolution because for so many he, years she is the for so, she is the Miz of, of 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 the women's division. I mean, the Miz is one of the best wrestlers of his generation. No, uh, if fans about mm, okay, not right. not okay. in the ring, not in the okay. ring. Okay, but like you hate watch you hate him. And that's his job. Exactly, like, but but she does she does some pretty athletic stuff that I don't know that Miz is necessarily capable of. He's good at what sure, he does. Sure, sure. Athletic wise, yeah. for sure, Alexa Bliss. But like, yeah. no, that's fair. That Seth Rollins Miz like ladder match or that that match on whatever I can't even remember what yeah. pay per view it was, but that Miz Seth Rollins match was awesome, and that was the best match of the card because Miz is a character. He's not yeah. doing flips. He's an old school. I'm gonna tell a story in the right. ring, and he was great. His, his facial expressions are great. I mean, I mean, I hate watching the Miz win. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of his job, so you can't fault him for it. I mean, I was, I, I'm here for Rollins versus Ziggler. Just want to point that out. Just all, I'm about all it, about man. It. I'm all about. all about those guys. Last thing before I let you go, we've we've been seeing a rise in this country of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Another show in San Francisco yeah, coming up. You got to talk to Kenny Omega. Mark Cuban's an investor. I think big things are happening for this con- company in in the states. Yeah, I just wish they would do more. Like, I don't know why they're in San Francisco. I thought that was an odd decision. Uh, there's not really a scene. Like, L.A., there's a wrestling scene. Chicago, there's a wrestling scene. New York, Philly. There's no scene in San Francisco. It's also the same day as UFC 226. They were just in Long Beach, and then they're going back to California. I would have done it in Philadelphia or New York, Florida or Chicago, or maybe even Winnipeg. I mean, Kenny Omega and Jericho are the two champions. They're both from Winnipeg. They should have gone to Canada. I mean... I just think they're back in California too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, New Japan is blowing up. It still has a long ways to go before you hit WWE status, but right. uh, it's, it's on the up and up, and I, I love every second about it. Right, the storytelling, you've kind of schooled me to that, how it's the slow burn and how they build up stories better yeah. than everyone. And I just want to point out, they don't. I mean, no one's going to get to WWE's level, but they're getting to a point where it might not be a, oh, well, you've done all you can, now it's time to go to WWE. Like, it, it's not necessarily a feeder system it's going to get into that niche where people can just stay there and have lengthy careers and still get exposure oh yeah without a doubt i mean before it was always wwe or nothing right now there's a ton of options not even just new japan like you can go to pwg or ring of honor or czw if you would love that crazy death match with all the blood like there's a lot of options in wrestling right now this is the golden era of independent wrestling so if you want to make it in this business and uh grow your craft on the independent scene before joining the big leagues now there's never been a better time 
It's awesome. Can't wait for it. Wrestling and UFC. It's why Jose Youngs is a reoccurring guest on this show. Thanks for coming on, and uh, best of luck covering UFC 226. I uh, I sincerely hope you're wrong in your heavyweight title pick, but no, seriously. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll be back on soon. Don't worry. Of course, man. Anytime. And that's it for this Friday edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Huge thanks to both guests, Rob Crowder and Jose Youngs, and thanks to all the guests that I've had on in the past. I don't say that enough, but thanks for delivering great content and helping to make this show what it is. These two gentlemen did just that. You can find every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. Next week, might have to do two shows as well. We'll see. Wimbledon's still riding high. A lot of upsets. Most of the top-seeded women are all out, but Serena Williams stays lurking. Federer wearing Uniglow and also still riding high there. And the NHL, with John Tavares going to the Maple Leafs and maybe an Eric Carlson trade to Tampa coming up soon. A lot to talk about there. But this was the Money Mitch Effect. If you like the show, share it. Leave a review and a rating. I'm Mitch Michaels. Until next time, keep enjoying sports and have a wonderful weekend.